Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Mandy. And this is Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and sober curious. Hi, and welcome back to Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and sober curious. And today is a very special episode. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop. Episode 100. Like, we're like three figures. Can't believe it. 100 bloody episodes. It's like, have they not shut up yet? No, we're still going. (laughs) My sister in law once said to me when it was about sort of 25 episodes, she was like, 25 episodes? What do you talk about? And now it's like, what do we talk about? That's the, the like the eternal question isn't it? Um, and we're super excited because for this auspicious occasion, we have our dear friend and sober sister from Paris, ooh la la, Rose Romain, who is a certified professional creative and trauma-informed recovery coach. And she is also a She Recovers designated coach. Rose, apart from being a legend, has worked extensively in the entertainment world. That sounds just like a euphemism for being really dirty. Wearing many a different hat before retraining as a coach. She specialises in helping clients transform their inner voice to become their ally whilst reconnecting with their body, mind and soul with intuition, integrity and inspiration. Rose is a member of the MITC, which is the Music Industry Therapies and Coaches Collective and the proud co-host of the podcast, Sober Set. Sober sex. And I am really dirty. So we're really, she's also, there's one more little accolade here, and this has got a whole story on its own, which we will dive into at some point. She's also the voice behind um, Love, Love Yourself Sober our book and we couldn't have just wished for a greater voice behind it um so we are like super super excited about that but we will tell you the story about that at some point because it's quite a story um so welcome rose oh thank you i am beyond i don't know i feel quite emotional to be here actually i feel well emotional I, i mean i'm having a bit of a day anyway but then just that intro and sort of thinking about our friendship and the whole thing it's like ooh, emotion <laughs> oh, 100 no. days 100 days 100 days 100 episodes <laughs> and uh, and yeah and the whole thing so yeah so we always start with the check-in so Rose how are you doing today oh I you know I am I'm just so grateful to have been uh invited into this space with you I think it I think there's something about the two of you which is deeply powerful and resonates and like cuts through the bullshit and like right through to the heart so I feel like I'm feeling like very grounded and in a lot of gratitude to be here um we just had new information regarding Paris and confinement last night so kind of curious about what the next few weeks looks like but just knowing that like through sobriety we develop resilience and like there is nothing we can do like Mm. nothing sorry nothing we can't do sober you know so yeah 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 and considering well I mean they put a curfew in right so you can't go out but like after nine (laughs) o'clock it's like for a sober person it's just like fine whatever brilliant permission (laughs) to Netflix forever perfect (laughs) yeah can I still get a delivery is the question basically (laughs) (laughs) that's it it's a pretty good overall yeah yeah what about you guys 
Mand, how are you doing, love? Um, I am not the best, I have to say. I have already cried. Um, I have one of my stress um, headaches, which kind of come on when I have been holding the world's problems in and then they go, ah, go and lie down all day and mm. um, it's all a bit heavy in your head and your heart, my dear. Mm. So I'm trying to hold it together. <laughs> um, but yes, I'm going to have to just cancel everything and go and lie down for the mm. day, which does happen to me every couple of months. Um, yeah. And you, dude? Yeah, um, I basically um, really, I don't know. I, I'm like... What's that in, is it Ice Age with that squirrel that's got that nut that's like running around? Yeah, squirrel with the nut. But he, he, he's like obsessed with the nut, whereas I'm like, I'm the opposite of that. Actually, I'm like so distractible. It's like really like chasing bits of fluff. So I'm like a cat that's like chasing bits of, shall I chase a bit of fluff or a bit of sparkle? Or what's that noise over there? Or do I need a wee? Do you know what I mean? I'm like, I'm so full of the reactions today. Like, I'm I'm going to be all over the shop. So. I love it. Brilliant. Yeah, it's a, a fantastic Great. combination today, and dude. Do you know what was funny? Because we were on the Bubble podcast. The Bubble. It's the Bubble Hour podcast <laughs> this week. And we, we talked to Jean, Jean McCarthy, John McCarthy, G McCarthy. G McCarthy. Jean McCarthy. Right? Jean McCarthy. <laughs> <laughs> And she was so, like, professional. And I came away from sort of having had that amazing interview with her, with you, Mans, and thought, right, I really need to up my game. Like, so I was like, right, that's it. I'm going to really bring my A game now and be really professional. And it's just it's just not That's really working out it's for you, dude. really did. working out, right? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like, can I just chime in on the old professionalism thing? Isn't that... Like I was on this photo shoot yesterday and the photographer kept saying to me, can you kind of seem more professional and like less playful and more just sort of present and grounded? And I was like, sure, give it a go. And then I'm like, (laughs) but at the same time, I was stood on this like curved wall, right? And in heels, walking. And I'm like, you know, when the ground is unsteady, it's hard to stand straight up and I feel like there's something in that like we're living in very uncertain times and you know let's cut ourselves some slack if we're a little distracted and a little like emotional and feeling shitty and give ourselves fucking huge excuse me I swear like a bitch but um (laughs) (laughs) filthy old bitch (laughs) determined that in the first five minutes (laughs) but like that there is absolutely space to do all of that do you know what I mean and like And you know, we yeah, all so. we all process stress so differently. And if I'm being forced to like pretend to be professional or put that on, it's like, oh, can I just cut myself some slack and not? Yeah. Because like I'm enough just as I am today, distracted or stressed or whatever. Yeah. Sorry. That's patronizing. No, no, not at all. It's like honey. Yeah. Just like, yes, please. Okay. Wrap me up in a blanket. The voice, Rose, the voice, remain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, 
So, Rose, tell us, can we dive into your story? Because you've got, you know, like I said, we I always feel like our stories are all, they're sort of extraordinary and ordinary all at the same time. Mm. But I think our stories to sobriety, to recovery, when we're going through them, they just always seem like we're the only one, don't we? And there's something so powerful about there'll be someone out there resonating, you know? So I was wondering if you would mind adding your story to this 100th episode and tell us a bit how you became to be alcohol free. Oh, thanks, Kate. Thanks for asking. Um, Yes. So story, like I have to be really careful with that because um, depending on how I'm feeling on any given day, the facts and the narrative can change dramatically. Sometimes like, oh, it's not that big a deal. Do you know what I mean? Just like, don't drink, (laughs) whatever. And then like, there's other days where I'm like, holy shit, if somebody had told me that like my journey was going to look like this, um, I would be like, no thanks. But basically I, well, the first time I I grew, I'll just, I'll just start at the beginning. I grew up in the Southwest of England in Devon, just outside of Exeter in a tiny little village called Dowood. And that is between Honiton and Axminster. Axminster is where they make the carpets. So not that this matters. I've thrown up on a few carpets, but it's not important. And and so my parents, um, my dad's an East End Jew and um, my mum is from uh, Sussex. And they kind of moved down to the countryside to this really tiny village and decided to do exactly what they were doing in their kind of city bohemian life, but in this like really conservative kind of Christian environment. My school was like with 20 people in it, 24 children, 12 in each class. And we were the hippies on the hill. My mum came to school to pick me up without shoes on. And um, and all the mums with their little tweeners were there. And I was just like, can I be their child? Please? <laughs> Uh, I was like, and I desperately wanted to fit in. So when I found the old booze, I think my first drink was a bottle, a bottle, no less. Although my dad did say at Friday night Shabbats, I used to go around and clear up all the glasses when we'd done the blessing over the wine. <laughs> um, but my my first first drink was like what I remember was this bottle of Kiwi Twenty Twenty. Oh, oh Lord. Man. Yeah. and it was straight vomit o'clock. Do you know what I mean? Out on the church steps at Axminster, having a little puke, and. Um, <laughs> Either that or like giving a blowjob in the fucking porch of the church. Who knows? <laughs> like, not goals, definitely oh. not goals. But <laughs> bless me. And so, you know, I just, it was awful from the beginning, but it was also like my coping mechanism, you know, for being a bit weird and a bit out there and, and numbing those feelings of feeling very different, which I think. I really felt deeply and bless my parents, you know, they were rebelling against their very formal upbringings to do something very different. And so, um, whereas other children might have been like, wow, really thrive in those kind of really creative environments. I think I was already a bit like wild, so needed something a little more structured and held. And, you know, that just sort of carried really, that carried on. I was very talented in theatre and became part of the Devon New Theatre and, you know, but then was also very talented in sort of scoring drugs and, um, <laughs> and and drinking and just being generally quite wild. The two kind of, 
I could sort of oscillate between the two really, like becoming very, very focused at my creative abilities, but then becoming very, very focused at getting highly fucked up. And so honestly, it served me. It worked out really well for a really long time. I had a really great bunch of mates and some very charming and not so charming men around and and women too. I'm bisexual, although I'm married to a man now. But um, yeah, it was kind of wild. And then I went to drama school and, you know, I would always stop for periods of time for a show or, um, or for just generally to get it together. You know, I had a big project on or something or something I felt really proud of. And, and then eventually I moved to Paris in 2012. I was living and working in a pub in Exeter and actually it was kind of extraordinary, like my leaving do at the pub, I was under the table drinking like a bottle of tequila with like the bar manager and she said to me they don't drink like this in France and I was like what do you mean <laughs> like I know the difference between Sancerre and Chardonnay like, <laughs> like who cares like nobody cares but I was like mm. and she was like yeah you need, you're gonna need to rein it in and I was like and I'd heard that a few times, but just not like paid attention. I was just like, someone's trying to kill the party. Do you know what I mean? And then I eventually got to Paris and like had the world at my feet. I had a film coming up and I was off to Iceland to shoot admit this really great director. And I was working as an English teacher and I was like, oh, wow, you know, I finally freaking made it. You know, I'm in Paris living in this tiny little apartment, but Comem like smoking roll-ups on my balcony it was all very dramatic and yet people were starting to like slowly back off from me I was becoming a bit of a liability um and I always kind of had been but I knew how to rein it in but what was different this time is I couldn't rein it in and I was getting more and more depressed and um sadly um you know I called a, a family member I won't say which one because I don't think it's fair but I called a family member and says and, and says, so I still got the one country in me, <laughs> and, said, um, and said, I can't stop drinking. You know, like I was, I was doing a bottle of wine at home and just like speed up and going through like my phone, meanwhile, having no phone credit, then using like the landline to like phone exes in the UK and even phoning the old pub that I worked out just to have chats because it was kind of really lonely and sad, honestly. I was there alone and, and, um, and this family member said to me, Oh, darling, nor can I, you know which is the worst thing to say to somebody because you think you're being an ally, but you're really not. Like essentially you're just being like permission to keep going. And I was like, well, you know, and uh, I was very, very scared because um, unfortunately something kind of awfully traumatic happened. It was a Wednesday night. I went out, I went to the gym, which was always like me kind of like co-signing my behavior. I'm good. I went to the gym, you know, and then um, went out with a girlfriend, drank, 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 got crazy, went back to somebody's house, woke up in a sort of uncompromising position. I'm not sure if it was, I don't know the full details to this day, but I had been spiked, it turned out, and then trotted myself off to work covered in rashes having an alcohol like strong reaction bodily reaction and um you know it's all right because I went to work and I felt more and more lousy my 30th birthday was approaching and um and I and I said I gotta stop like I can't be waking up in places with people where like 
the details are unclear. <laughs> like that used to be fun, but that's no longer fun, right? And that I knew I had this film coming up, so I needed to be like really together. And um, I tried to stop and I couldn't. And I ended up back in that situation like five days later. And so it was getting precarious. And like, it's really interesting because this Emily in Paris Netflix series has just come out and it's like so the opposite of my experience because what happened for me becoming alcohol free from then was that um, I asked for help and I had somebody who loves me dearly tell me they couldn't watch me do it anymore. And um, like I was causing them a lot of pain. And this is one of my best friends and she's French. And she was like, also, by the way, the apartment that you're living in of mine, I don't trust you to stay in there anymore because you're going to say it on fire. Like the neighbors were calling her complaining. The noise was outrageous. <laughs> and so from there I started to sort of like, Oh shit, this is getting serious. Like this is not, the Emily in Paris moment, like, you know, and so, um, yeah, I, I let my friends help me. I, it was clear to me that like family members might not be the best people to help me, but it was certainly clear that like, and we've talked about this before, this kind of traffic light system of people who are your support people, like my green light people were definitely my friends at that point and two very close girlfriends. And, and they were like, sweetheart, what do you need? And I was like, I don't feel very well. And I remember my last drink, I was at this very fancy bar in Paris called La Belle. And I was trying to desperately fit in and be with the fashionistas and everything. And yet, like, I was holding my side. I was like, oof, pain in the old side. And so um, I was like, I think I need to go home. And uh, and I woke up in the night just like raging and flipping about in sweats and just aches. And I was like, shit, I think I need to go to the doctor. So the next day was my 30th. Two of my really good friends came over and they were like, what do you need? I was like, well, on the way to the spa, can we just go to the hospital? I just need to get checked out. So I popped along to the old hospital and they were like, yep, what's going on with the old liver <laughs> here? And um and from there, I I kind of like, I let the medical professionals help me really. Like it turned out that I was, I had, my, my body wasn't doing so good. Um, and I was then spent a couple of weeks in hospital just like processing that. And uh, yeah, and that was my, my journey to sort of surrender and my real turning point. And surrender is such a weird word out of the context of 12 step, but like, it really did feel like I just let people in to help. It was like the bravest thing I ever do did was allow people to help and the most courageous thing I ever did. And and I still have to do that in sobriety and recovery too, right? But at that moment, somebody came to me in that hospital with a book and it was this incredible book on Chagall. And Chagall is one of my favorite painters. My father's a painter and I spent a lot of time in his studio growing up. And then, and he said to me, and this is the Opera de Paris. Have you seen the Chagall paintings on the ceiling? And I was like, what? I'd been in Paris at six months at that point. He was like, you've never seen that. And I was like, no, because I'd only seen the inside of bars. I was like, there's something incredibly wrong about this story, <laughs> you know? And I don't want to be a participant in that story anymore. And so I let people help. And that was a long journey. You know, I didn't have any money. I knew going back to the UK at that point, it wasn't things like 
um, your your uh, love sober group didn't exist. I just there was no. I'd gone to mental health professionals before, and it was all lying down. Tell me your story, and and that wasn't helping. Like the why wasn't helping, and I think that's what's really interesting about your book as well. Like at the beginning, when you're like. Asking yourself whether you're an alcoholic can be one of the most unhelpful questions. And further to go on from that, I'd also say the why is one of the most unhelpful questions because it's like, it's just not working. Why? I don't know. But should we just try something different? Do you know what I mean? Like, I can't get to the bottom of this in this space right now and just trust that I'll understand one day if I need to. And so I certainly just it was just a process of letting go let the help come and it didn't come like I wanted it to necessarily come but I ended up going to treatment for three months just because honestly I'll be real with you I didn't actually think I my problem was that bad but I needed some space between myself and me and also I didn't have any money and nowhere to live and I knew going back to the UK wasn't going to help because I knew I couldn't get the help there that I needed because possibly I wasn't bad enough which is terribly sad. And so um, and I, my ex was a doctor of clinical psychology and worked in adult mental health. And he had told me, like, you have to be really bad before you get treatment in the UK. And so sadly, I knew I needed to stay in France because people were helping me. And so I went to treatment for three months and it was all free. It was incredible. It gave me just a little breathing room. And then I had nowhere to live. And I was fortunately given a place in a woman's shelter um like a woman's halfway house and you weren't allowed men visitors and uh, but it kept me safe for another three months while I just got on my feet you know and uh, that was 2012 <laughs> sorry that was the, like the longest answer but there we go oh, no it wasn't at all it was it was fantastic and beautiful and thank you for sharing and yeah of course um so that's like eight I years. Did. Yeah. Yeah. That's a minute ago. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I mean, there's so much there that is full of hope. And just, I think that key message of letting people in to help, like I resonate with that so much because I don't know what it is about when you get in trouble with a, you know, with a substance or with a relationship or whatever that toxicity is you become I guess it's like um you know a trauma response that you become so protective of yourself and trying to do it by yourself like I remember my my husband used to say to me all the time like it was about pride, like stop being so proud. Like, you're, right. you know, there was a real thing with that going on. And and I didn't understand what it was all about, but I think it was to do with control. And I was just trying to control things. So it was like I couldn't let anyone in mm. because I was trying to control it. And it was when you get to that point where you're like, you know, and I don't blame myself for that. You know, I think that women especially are under a lot of pressure. No, not that's not true. All people are under a lot of pressure to be perfect and sort things out themselves and not talk about the bad stuff or whatever. Um, but yeah, I just, when you, you go, right, I can't, I can't do this by myself, you know, whatever that looks like at whatever level of 
of of your situation is I mean you could be if you're kind of you know it could be joining a sober forum and making friends and at that point having that support it could be going to the hospital you know it could be and and I guess the heartbreaking thing on that side is that you know we had free help in France you know and it's just so heartbreaking when you hear these stories because I know that people can't access the support that we got you know Mm. and and it's just like you know we have been over the last couple of weeks you know bashing heads trying to find help for someone Mm. and it's like that that question of I mean, France is not perfect at all, and mm-hmm. the privilege is is still a massive thing, you know. But I don't know whether I would be alive if I had not been in France. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And it's been funny. able to access, you know, that support. So it's extraordinary because I know I certainly came here for the wine. You know, it was definitely <laughs> like the wine culture that brought me to France because <laughs> I was like, I'm going to be so glamorous on that yeah uh, smoking a cigarette uh, doing that whole bloody Emily in Paris thing right and so um what's kind of extraordinary is it's like ironically I come here and I get like the best help ever yeah. <laughs> like a very different type of medicine you know yeah 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 so what would your your you know your tips be for people starting out I mean we always ask people this and I'm aware that you know we've had different gradients of experience but you know what would what helped you and what would your what would your other tips be rather you know not just sort of um that kind of letting people in right so I that's a really great question because I think the beginning is really important um is is super taking time to allow yourself to fuck everything up except the only thing you have to do perfectly, which is not drink. Like literally let yourself off the hook for absolutely everything. I think often there's a mistake in the beginning. It's like, okay, I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to stop smoking. I'm going to go vegan. I'm going to not eat sugar. I'm going, and then suddenly it's like you set yourself these impossible tasks and we don't realize our subtle dependence on alcohol is so insidiously there that you don't even figure it out. It took me like five years of being sober to really be like, oh, okay, now this makes sense. I'm <laughs> like, I was really like dependent. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because yeah. I just didn't believe that I needed help, like that I was worthy of help. So I just had to keep being like, I guess. Like, just being in this space of, like, open curiosity and, like, okay, like, I don't know what's right, good for me, but the only thing I have to do perfectly is not drink a day at a time. And then everything else, like, if I swear at somebody, if I, you know, if I, I don't know, go out with my trousers tucked into my back, I mean, whatever, like, you know, like, everything else is just, like, cut yourself mad slack for a good chunk of time and I'm not just talking about somebody who's like qualifying as an alcoholic or somebody who may be a gray area drinker I mean I really think that it's all just about a continuum basically you know we all get off we all get off the ride at some point like it and I think early intervention is key 
But I think these things aren't mutually exclusive. I don't think these self-care tips are like, well, yeah, that's because you're really bad. You have to accept help or whatever. I think like we can all do it. It's kind of like a humility around open curiosity, which has been the best thing for me. And I have no way done that perfectly either. Like not... I've not been perfect at not being perfect, if that makes sense. Yeah, (laughs) that really resonates with me. And I remember so much of my sort of almost my mental torment the first year that I was sober was like I was just trying to be, but I didn't have the tools to be in my own skin. But I was like, I just had to slam the door on alcohol that had to be off the menu and it was mentally exhausting, but it just had, that was it. But, and I like, you know, my story about rinsing Dallas, eating Haribo, Beautiful. whatever, you know, like I just didn't, like I 100% did that because I just knew that I couldn't do anything else but do that. Right. Um, and then when anything else would creep in, I'd just get really stressed and just go, ah, I'm going to have a stroke. And then right. I would then go oh okay and I would literally go from you know when in the car when you go when it's cool I've got this car metaphor because it's just happened in my car sorry it's really boring but basically there wasn't enough water in the radiator (laughs) so well not wasn't enough water in the radiator I'm sure there's a metaphor there and then it just would go like literally switch the engine on and it'd go red immediately like there is just not enough good stuff in there um yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. No, I but that is like, no, I, no, I love that metaphor because I think it's really just about being topped up, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? It's about making sure that your radiator essentially is full, <laughs> that it has the water in it, that you have, yeah. you are pouring into that yeah. and keeping yourself topped up with topped the up and in the world. And like, yeah. and like, who do I want to show up in the world as? Like, I want to show up in the world as like a sober woman, but it doesn't mean that I have to be perfect. And just by doing that, I am being a different person in the world. And like, if I think that alcohol at points in my life was kind of like, people say medic was my medication, my solution, my coping mechanism. Why I always talk about how it was in the beginning, like when I had that first drink and what kind of preceded that is not to get into the why, but to say that like, this really helped me. Like alcohol really gave me armor. It really was my confidence. So if I'm going to be sober, I am going to need to have to find new armor and a newfound confidence. And also, I think one thing that's hugely important in that is finding your tribe, whatever that looks like. Like one of the greatest gifts of this last year and a half was meeting you two. Like, and I cannot tell you, I came, I came down to Royan this summer to, and saw Mandy and Kate and um, I came back and I was just in tears with my husband and he was like, what's going on with you? I was just like, I found my girls because I got sober, I got sober here in Paris. So the amazing, amazing fellowship, amazing people, but a lot of Americans, not many Brits who've got that kind of sassiness and aliveness and fun and joy, but also like all the full spectrum of the emotions and just like, come on girls, just doing it. Just like bossing it out there in life, walking the walk, talking the talk. And I was like, I've forgotten that part of myself. And when I met you two, I was like, hello, we're home. (laughs) (laughs) And that's an eight year sobriety. So what I would love your listeners to get from that more than anything is like, never give up trying to find your people. 
yeah yeah what that looks like yeah you know that can be on internet forums that can be you know whatever yeah yeah and I love I love that and I love the the you know that watching that journey with you you know and 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 having that duality between sort of you know the the core foundation of your sobriety which has been the fellowship and 12 step and and doing that work and how important that's been for you and still is for you and then still uh, but still being able to start to look outside and bring in other things and it is that thing it's like well something works for you for a while and you can still keep adding things in. It's like, you know, who knows what I might, where I might go looking for a bit of sort of inspiration or help. At, at, and I'm open to it all, you know, who knows where I might go. I'm I'm up for it because it just. I'm going to find it, you in a convent and like. Oh man, who knows, man. You, honestly, I just, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm slightly worried about you know, where I might end up. Sometimes that really appeals to me. Like from oh, my kind of religious trauma background which obviously if it's not my podcast and I must not go off and talk about me but like I used to want to be a nun when I was a teenager (laughs) but sometimes and then I was like absolutely rebelled and was just you know not not and then I've got you know issues around religion as we know but sometimes I just think god that would be nice wouldn't it going to convent there's something very alone I think, I think it's, I don't know, it's, again, it's like that extreme, like, well, it's convent or party. <laughs> There's nothing in between. There's, There's no like nowhere in between. Sitting on a park bench and just having a little quiet time. It's like, you know, it is, it's like me going off on a pilgrimage. Yeah, <laughs> <convent>. <laughs> One of the most hilarious things that happened just before I got sober is I went down to this amazing place in Totnes called Gaia House and I did a silent retreat for a week (laughs) it was amazing and I was just like crying into the moon and just like stood there like oh I never want to speak again it was so beautiful and then I got out and the and I was just like walking around like really slowly because it was also a walking meditation thing and then I went to my local pub got right twatted and then turned up at my ex's house and I was just like <laughs> and he just opened the window, bless him, Doctor of Clinical Psychology. Open the window. It's like I thought you went on a silent retreat. What <laughs> is going on with you? <laughs> so, yeah, finding the balance. Finding the, yeah, that's so flea bag. I know. <laughs> it was hilarious. Poor lamb. Um. Yeah. So, what has been your biggest area of personal growth? Would you say since you've been sober? Oh my god! Just a small yawn. yawn. Um, I hate this because it's so goddamn cheesy. But like, I'm a caretaker, right, through and through. I love taking care of other people. I mean, it's just my jam. Um, allowing myself to be loved by others has been my biggest area of personal growth. Um, so that's why we started Sober Sex, the podcast. Really. Uh, is about that Um, because intimacy for me is a huge part of my self-care routine that doesn't mean that I'm just like lying in bed all day with a vibrator by the way yes you are (laughs) yes sorry (laughs) I'm I'm just lying around masturbating all day (laughs) no not at all but like intimacy when I mean intimacy what I mean is like having a relationship with self 
like I'm a great fan of dissociation as a way of just like getting through life <laughs> you know it's just like check out so I don't have to be present so this year has been really about like what does a nurturing person look like what does a wise person look like what does a kind person look like and like being that for myself and allowing others to show up in that corner too yeah love it and it's really you know I I'm getting a lot out of our conversations and listening to your podcast it's a huge area of growth for me that's for sure (laughs) it's just like barely chipping away at the corner of intimacy with self and intimacy with others for sure well I think we all come with I think nobody ends up I don't know. I can't just make broad, broad generalizations. And there, ha- there are some statistics around this, but we don't have substance use disorder or alcohol misuse disorder without some trauma, whether that's complex trauma or whether that's specific PTSD or CPTSD. So intimacy, of course, is really complicated. And I think often people get sober, certainly in 12-step and it's this idea of like, oh, here I am, I have to wear a straight jacket around sex, or I can't dare to, I don't know, go there anymore. Because I know I'd slept with, oh my God, hundreds and hundreds of men and women, you know, like, I, you know, I don't even know majority. When I wrote my sex inventory in, in 12 Step, it's something we do. I didn't have names. It was like dude in toilet, in bar, just like quickie in the cloakroom. Um, and so when I got sober, it was like, I don't trust my sexual self on any level. And I was in, I'm in a committed long-term relationship, also known as marriage. And, <laughs> and what's beautiful about that is that like, that's the real intimate part is because like, that is a, a mirror for how I'm doing um, really with that. Because often it's like, I don't, like we've gone for long periods with not having sex, like really long periods of not having sex because I just didn't feel safe in my body and like, that's okay. <laughs> but like we connected in different ways, like mad hugs. We're a big fan of hugs. And like, so I think we have to redefine sex as not just penetration. I think it's a really complicated word. Like sex is touch. Sex is like allowing that person to like stroke my hair, kiss the back of my neck, like hold my hand like feel the wind blowing between each other as we're on a walk together like it's not just about this like pound pound ejaculation moment so it's about for me redefining that it's about a, and a sort of an embodied a bod, embodied connected experience isn't it it's like yeah. living an embodied way inside and outside of the bedroom sort of thing. right it's and not I, just all about that moment about no. and get, I think it, it's yeah. such a put an important part of the conversation because I know that that occasionally like over the last eight years it's like the odd post would appear on sober forums about hmm, sober sex do we dare to go there no one's dares to go there no one wants to speak about it so I think it's amazing what you're doing to Thanks. start start to talk about that and I agree you know I I, I agree and we're not just talking on the podcast about like, oh, I love a bit of anal or whatever. Like that's not like, I mean, that is part of the conversation because like, you know, if you like that, like, that's great too. But like there's no also pressure to sort of embody the kink on, or also throw out the kink, you know, if that's what you like, like find safe 
spaces in which you can communicate that. And my husband's American, so it's been really interesting because like our version of communication is so wildly different. As a British person, I'm like, oh, thank you very much. Waiting to be asked. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Don't dare. And he's just like, oh, just say what you like. And I was like, what? what what do you mean what do I like like so that when you ask me like what has been the hugest part of growth it's like figuring out what the fuck I like and not (laughs) just in the bedroom I'm talking like how do I like my tea do I like coffee do I like posh coffee no I don't like posh coffee I like shitty coffee in a coffee brasse like with almond milk without you know do I like sweetener you know all these kind of weird things it's okay and kind of giving myself permission to be like, I'm allowed all of those weird little things. And that kink is as much part of my how I like my coffee, is as much part of the intimacy question to me as the penetration question is too. Yeah, mm, I love that. And I love that idea that, you know, in sobriety, and I do think we get that. It's a, an amazing opportunity, obviously, once the, the intensity of just bloody rinse and repeat right. through the day. But that opportunity, and I remember Mandy, one of Mandy's favorite quotes of hers was that she said, never stop being curious about what makes you feel good and what you oh, like. Yeah. Yeah? And it is, it's that opportunity to reset, to, to go, ah, okay, I am cultivating this bit of space that isn't filled up by a whole ton of shit and I'm going to find out what I like. Yeah. And it's just, I, I think that's so beautiful. I and think that's what, what people what, don't think about, they think they're yeah. depriving themselves and getting rid of this old little treat or this da 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 da. And right. it's like, no, you are literally creating space to fill it, fill yourself so full of good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the, the sort of the thing that people perhaps don't understand, or it's very difficult to to grasp at the beginning because we live so much in kind of looking back and it's like the good old days and oh you know and and sort of this sort of obsession with youth and like oh my god like when we did that that was so amazing and trying to recreate those moments of our youth and that's how we get stuck in these patterns of you know a a disconnect between our values like I want to be a good mum or I want to be you know a a grown-up and I want to be you know creating and performing and being you know someone that I I believe in and I'm proud of as an adult but then I'm like doing behavior that I was doing when I was a teenager because I'm stuck in this like cross in between and it's that thing of when you start to think about growth and go oh this is actually an investigation into loads of different areas and it's going to grow you know and especially if you've had you know trauma it's like oh this isn't dead or this isn't like stopped it's gonna it's an opportunity and an invitation to explore for the rest of my life like how cool is that you know like I'm gonna be that like I might not have a vibrator but maybe when I'm 60 I might right you know or I might like I might sort of not be into yoga or going on a silent retreat or whatever but I might be when I'm like you know 55 so let's see and it's that sort of invitation to look with curiosity into the future and go mm. like I, you know it's not about that's done that's done yeah, yeah, it's yeah, done yeah. we can't well, go back know, what yeah. I think is really hard about Beautiful. the early days yeah. is that so if like so many of our associations are tied up with alcohol or whatever we've been using and the dopamine has all gone the dopamine receptors have all gone mad for that thing 
So it's like, I think as well, like I don't remember having that in the early days. It was literally, that's what was just simple routines, get through, connect with people, chat it through, get through my trigger Mm -hmm. times. And, but there's a gradual unfolding. And now like a few years on, then you just like, okay, but it's that kind of, it's not going to be a quick fix necessarily, but you're looking for those bright spots, those things that light you up. You're looking for those signs of life. You're looking mm. for sprouting shoots, and you might just get those the first month. You yeah. actually might not. You might, I mean, yeah. I did. I remember walking to school on the school run, and there were cobwebs, low spiders oh. webs lit up by rain, raindrops, and I was walking to school without a hangover with my kids, and I went exhale inhale fuck you know that was that's a moment that was a moment that I want to hold on to that's a sign of life that's uh that's that's what's going to come your way more and more and more and more and more yeah there's going to be a ton of shit's life's full of ton of shit as well mm-hmm. but you, you get those things don't you um, yeah I love that and just I love that image of you just going to on the school run without a hangover and just paying attention yeah like because I know that when I was drinking, it was just like, get through the day, get through the day, get through, no matter what. And it wasn't because I was like necessarily like get through the day to wine o'clock, but like, it was just like, this is fucking unbearable. So I don't want to be present. And so I have to be careful also in sobriety and recovery, like not to apply those old ways. It's like, Hey, what do you, instead of being like, pull your socks up, get the fuck on, put your big girl's pants on or whatever. Actually, I'm like, I'm starting to do now more is just like take my hand, put it on my heart and be like, sweetheart, what do you need? Do you know what I mean? And like having that conversation with myself and often it's just like, can we just go for a nap? (laughs) (laughs) Can we just take 10 minutes in a dark room? Our big favorite of mine is putting my legs up against the wall and allowing the adrenals to replenish. And that's one of the best things from being on tour that I learned is um, how to get through fucking shows and being on tour is just like between a show I would just go into a dark room and put my legs up against the wall and replenish and it does the goddamn trick Mm, I love it yeah 20 minutes min though okay yeah yeah and a bit of time that's a really good tip though and you know you know I'm a fan of lying down on the floor about five times a day to reset but that's like even more that's like I've used the word pimp twice in two days now but that's yes, like keeping my line down to next level yeah. <laughs> I could also do it with my legs up I might even yeah. use a bolster oh, oh right. now you're talking oh my god love it love it love it love it oh so yeah so you talked about your there's a few things there that you do what's your kind of do you have a morning routine what's your self-care practices you know on a kind of regular basis so self-care is no longer optional. Self-care has become an obligation for me. It has to be. Um, again, because it's not for all people who have problems with alcohol, but I verge on the um, caretaking type. So I have to remember to put own oxygen mask on first. Um, and then like that, I show up better in the world. Um, so my self-care practice is non-negotiable. It's a bugger. I hate it. I actually don't really enjoy it that much, but I do it because if I don't, I'm fairly whingy and I hate tolerating myself if I'm being whingy. So 
I do it to preserve, self-preserve. So at the moment, and I change it with the season. So in the moment, we're kind of in a wintery thing. So I notice that like, I think we talk about this in yoga, like the Ujjayi breath needs to be like more fire-based. And so what I tend to do is do anything that will get that up. So just before this, I was really knackered and I was like, fuck, I don't want to sound like a drunk sober person on a podcast. So I'm just going to take a run around the blog. So I get my 90s garage, favorite garage <laughs> music. Nice. That and me is. And then I'm a little bit of wiggle running around the block real fast and just running up the steps in my mouth. And then that gets that like, what we talk about in yoga, that Ujjayi breath going through and then like enlivening me. In summer, I might not do that because I'm already have that fire breath. Like, but in winter, it's really important. Hot soups, hot drinks. Um, I try to, I'm working with, so one thing I didn't mention in my childhood is we grew up near this Buddhist monastery and the Buddhist monks used to walk over and come and have dinner with us every Friday night for Shabbat. And one of those Buddhist monks is now, uh, he's like a famous Buddhist monk, whatever the fuck that means. Like, whatever. Anyway, but I'm working with him on a meditation practice because I have slight attention issues. Um, actually sitting down for 20 minutes to cultivate a practice is important for me. I realize that's not easy for everybody, but I'm working with him once a month to kind of keep in check with that because mm. if I don't, this mind can still be wild and so mm. I need to tether it and so for my self-care practice it's all about how do we how do we tether this mind today so that my body is my body is way more powerful in telling me messages than my head so like that way that when my body was like ow we're in pain we should probably go to the hospital before going to get our nails done to go to the spa like that same attention I have to pay today mm. Yeah, I love that. And I and the, I love the, you know, because again, that self-care thing is self-maintenance, it's self-management, it's self-leadership, isn't it? It's, it's the tools for life. Um, and, and I think, you know, I think Mandy and I can both relate to that sort of... Um, what do you well, do? I, I, I think I re refer to myself as a finely tuned racehorse at some point. Oh, but I love that. <laughs> I think I just told my husband that when he was moaning about me going, you're so high maintenance. I was like, no, 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 I'm finely tuned. But finely it's true, it sort of can be if you're racing around because it is a bit time-consuming. You can't cut corners and you can't get away with stuff because actually then the triggers start and the mind starts playing tricks. So I really relate to that. And I think, But I think that's like, we all need to learn that, don't we? Like we all, it's everyone's business to be trying to manage ourselves a bit better and to do those tools that are going to keep us safe and grounded and present in our crazy 21st century life. Yeah. And addressing it first thing in the morning, I think, because I can spend the day talking myself out of self-care practices or do it at the end of the day. Mm. And I'm like, oh, you don't, just get fuck it. It's or somebody's like, hey, could you do this? And I'm like, yay! No, I don't have to take care of myself. Brilliant. You know what I mean? <laughs> I really don't enjoy it that much. And it's eight years in. Like, it is nice to go get your nails done, but and do all of that stuff. But I'd much rather be up and out somebody else's shit meddling. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I wanted you to just. I wanted yeah. um, you know, people that are listening, they might not sort of know what the caretaker role is or you know where that kind of vocabulary comes from so I wondered if you could just explain like a little bit what you mean by that well that's a really good question because caretaking isn't always a bad thing caretaking is 
insidious when you are intruding into somebody's life and they haven't asked you. That's when caretaking is destructive and unhelpful. It's also known as interfering. <laughs> um, so I just have to be really careful to listen for questions now. And I think, you know, as coaches, we learn about holding trauma-informed spaces, right? So we know that we don't like, we ask somebody, like, do you want feedback on that? Would you, do you want, do you just want to be heard right now? Or do you want suggestions? And I think like, it doesn't just have to apply to coaches. I'll, I'll say it to my husband. And he's like, no, I just need to be angry right now. Just like, hear me. And I was like, I hear you. It would be caretaking if I suddenly was like, well, you know what you could do? Right. Okay. Let's get you down the road. We'll get these trousers taken up so you don't trip over them. Nobody fucking asked me. Nobody asked my opinion. That's caretaking. Yeah. So I and I, really careful. Yeah. And I, and I think the thing that happens with that is that you can get burnout, right? So you, you know. Queen of burnout over here. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what plans? There is a lot going on. Um, I don't know how much you can talk about what, what plans and projects you have coming up. But yeah, what's going on for you and how can people get in contact with you and, and, and work with you? So you can get in contact with me on the old Instagram, which is where I'm sort of more present, I guess, at Rosie Remain. Um, you can check out the podcast um, on Instagram. I think we're Fuck Yeah Sober Sex. <laughs> or um roseremain.com it's my site internet um plans there's a there's a little book happening can't say too much about that and 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 we're all partying doing a little party <laughs> sesh aren't we yeah little collab we, yeah, are. we are we're collaborating yeah um, yeah trying to but sort of build our offerings aren't we and it made complete sense to to collaborate and to use those skills so we're going to be looking at though we just have to wait and that will be revealed yeah. at some point yeah yeah and also the audiobook obviously obviously as soon as we know what that on earth is going on with it both all chasing our respective <laughs> various sides yeah yeah um because we we are just super excited about that yeah um, Oh my God. And what a book that is. I mean, I can't quite believe, I don't know. It just feels very, I feel very lucky to have had the opportunity to be on this with you because you were an inspiration for me starting Sober Sex, listening to your podcast and also then getting to do your audio book. Oh my God, you guys, you are some talented writer. You have both have a way with articulating your thoughts, which make it like, I don't know. Easier to stay sober. I'm just Aww, like you're like amazing. for me. You're like the mini like Jesus and Mary of 2020. We're the Jesus and Mary. <laughs> Jesus and Mary. You can figure out who's Jesus, who's Mary. Like, hilarious. Yeah. Hilarious. Let's but, let's um, put that one in quote bubbles yeah, and put it on the internet. Do what you want with that. Um, but what I but what's so exciting about this as well? You know, we've we were talking about this before, but when people were asking us about our journey and how we ended up doing what we're doing, it was like nothing was was kind of by design. Nothing was sort of like, okay, this would be the next strategic step. Wouldn't this be blah, 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 blah. Wouldn't make, this make sense? Wouldn't this be wise? It's like we just tumble around 
yeah. it, don't we, right? Yeah. That's what we do. And so then this happened, then the book happened, and then this felt incredibly like, you know, serendipitous. And you are um, a very professional, well-respected voice artist in your own right, a, a voice actor. Um, you know, you are the voice campaign of a very, very top cosmetics company that I was well, I outed someone by talking, telling his mum that he just bought this product when I was a uh, when I was uh, <laughs> little. <laughs> I was like, "Wait, you didn't know he's gay, or you do now?" Because he just bought some of that. That's oh what. shit! I know, I know. Anyway, sorry, that's the slide. But you know, it was uh, you know we we didn't really have any control over who did our audiobook. We lost control over that because our publishers sold the rights to a different you know, an audio publisher. So actually, we could say, well, you know, we don't particularly, you know, vibe with this vibe, but we we do know someone who's really good. But you had to go through that audition process with people. We had no control over it. Oh, and you got it. the gig. And when you got the gig and we found out, we were like, hello. Yeah. And, you know, but it was like, um, it was like when you go, ah, oh, you know, magic fairies do exist. We had a fairy godmother looking over us, like going, yeah. and yeah. so my children, the book yeah. came to pass with all of you, and you will all be in it. It was like that <laughs> moment, like fairy godmother. I love it. I think there should be a love sober pantomime. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Can you imagine? Oh my god! Who's We're I, holding I auditions. We could do, that. yeah. We've got the we've got the the Cinderella story in the book, so we can bring that. Oh my god, I loved narrating that. I got <laughs> so I feel like I went into a blackout telling that story. I was suddenly like, and then she came, and she, and I was just like, oh, I think I'm a little involved in this. Amazing. <laughs> and we also we have Lee, who's the gay sober, who sent us a video of him tap dancing in his slippers this, this morning. morning. Yeah. Yeah. Are you kidding yeah. me? So we've definitely, I mean, maybe Lee would like to be Widow Twanky or Bottom. <gasps> oh, he can totally be in it. Yeah, he'd yeah. love that. Okay, what's his face? We've right. got oh, my it. God. <laughs> love Sober Panto 2021. I feel it in me vibes. <laughs> okay, so we always, we should finish up now. Yeah. Um, we always finish with your tip of the day and your reason to love Sober. So what? Yeah, what's your tip of the day? Oh, tip of the day, go into your wardrobe um, and find your favourite dress and stick it on, even if you feel like shit. That's what I just did. And then put a belt on it and then cinch that, baby. Cinch that waist. <laughs> my... I love it. Yeah. I love it. Work your wardrobe. Yeah, work oh, your wardrobe. Lush. And what's your reason to love sober? You too. Aww. Aww. What about you two? <sighs> What's our reason to love sober? What's yours, man? Well, I love the random interconnections. Mm. You know, we didn't mm. talk about how Rose and I met, but mm. we were both doing the She Recovers training. And so Dawn said to me, Mama Dawn, uh, the founder of she recovers like oh you should speak to rose because she's in paris godmother in the um she is the very godmother she's the fucking very godmother in the panto oh my gosh and um and so i was like okay cool and i'd met uh dufflin who also lives in paris and um and so we started we started a little whatsapp group and it was like oh you know um maybe i'll come to paris to visit and it's like oh yeah we'd never met or anything like that and then i sort of sent 
you a message. I was like, where are you from? Are you American? And you're like, no, I'm British. I was like, oh, cool. Like another Brit in England, you know, in France. I was like, hello. Um, and then I was like, where are you from? And you're like, oh, Devon. And I was like, oh, right, cool. Nice, nice. And then, and then you're like near Exeter. And I was like, oh, and then it sort of struck me. I was like, I know someone in Exeter. And then I was like, I recognize that name. And so I was like, do you know someone oh called Remain? And you're like, um, yeah, that's, uh, I don't know if I can say. If yeah, it's my brother. Yeah, yeah. I was like, that's my brother. And I was like, yeah. Oh, no way. Like, I think I know your nephew's mum. <laughs> mental. Absolutely mental. And I love so, that. Yeah. And so, and um, there's been loads of little, and, I mean, that's a pretty, you know, very, very close kind of connection in a very random way with two sort of sober women in France. In France. And, yeah. and like basically, yeah, very close. And But there's so many of those, like those yeah. little conversations you have or people in our group and then you're like, do you, uh, oh, hang on a second. Oh. I think you might know so-and-so that knows so. And it's all those kind of circles. Like Kate and I, you know, we used to live a, the road next to each other in Brighton. Shut you know? up! Yeah, you didn't know that. I didn't you know. Didn't That's know. mental. At the same time, at the same Stop time, it. we were. I was on Lansdowne Place. She was on that Alice There Road, and we had the Brunswick yeah. at the end, which we was probably too busy. Bugger me. So probably like went to you know to the loo at the same time. In the oh park. my god, you're probably just spewing in the same bins. Sorry. <laughs> so maybe we had a cat fight at some point. Yeah. yeah. Sorry about stealing the uh, the bench from outside the Brunswick, by the way. <laughs> Man, you got to put that back. Did you still have that bench? No, no, no. We left. We didn't take it to France with us. We left okay. it in our garden in Brighton. Oh, so. well, I will say that's though. something I don't miss is stealing shit and coming home with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Such hard work. What about you? What's your tip? Oh, um, gosh. Um, tip of the day is um, I just... If you're physically unwell, take everything off the list because mm. um, goals. Yeah, yeah, it's that boundaries thing again, isn't it? Boundaries. boundaries. Yeah. All right, then we suppose we should wrap up. Thank you, Rose. It's been so amazing. Oh to God! Spend this time with you today and to have you on the pod finally for our hundredth episode. Oh, thank you. What a treasure. So if you're immediately concerned about your drinking, please do reach out, send up a flare, you know, go to your healthcare provider, find some support, uh, reach out to us at info at lovesober.com or, you know, just go and find any kind of community that you vibe with and don't stop being curious. Don't feel like you're on your own because you're not. Um, sending you lots of love and we'll see you next week for more chat.